0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, let me add to the, the welcome that you've received, and let me also uh, introduce myself to you if you're new or, or visiting uh, today. Uh, my name is John Torrens. I am the uh, assistant minister here serving this congregation, and I'll be uh, helping us study God's Word uh, together. Before we return to the passage we read a moment or two ago, um, let me just make a little bit of a, a correction to one of the announcements I'll share. Uh, made earlier he said that remembrance sunday was next sunday um, some of you i'm sure will have picked up uh, that it's not next sunday it's the, the sunday after that the 10th of november um, so just be aware uh, next sunday don't come at half 11 um, uh, you'll you'll miss you'll miss part of our worship um, but sunday 10th is when we'll be uh, um, doing remembrance sunday well like i said can i Uh, We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, so can I invite you to turn with me uh, to this passage that Alex read, these three verses uh, tucked away in the the middle of of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at these rather closely, Um, so if you have a Bible or if you can see a Bible, I encourage you to to look at that. Uh, You'll want to know that what I'm saying this morning is not merely my words or my opinion, um, but the words of God, Uh, so I encourage you to, to, to look that up. Well, like I said, this is God's word, so let us come before him now in prayer, and let us ask him for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you want us to know how we can please you. You are our Heavenly Father. You have made it so uh, by giving us your Son, Jesus Christ, and you have given us this teaching through your Son, Jesus, through our King, about how we can live to glorify you. We pray this morning that you would help us reflect upon our personal relationship with you, reflect upon our attitude towards you, reflect upon our attitude towards your words. And we pray that as your Holy Spirit speaks through these words, that he would speak into our hearts and help us align our hearts and our minds and our souls and our being to your will, to your word, for your pleasure and for your glory. Amen. Well, as you can see on the screen um, behind me this morning, we're going to be thinking about Christian piety. Uh, Christian piety, if if you're not familiar with that phrase, it's quite hard to to describe well. Um, Alex called it um, practicing righteousness, and I thought that was brilliant. I wish I had thought of that earlier in the week. Um, But what I'm going to talk about or how I'm going to sort of use it is it's a term that we use as as Christians to describe our desire or a Christian's desire to live for God and to live according to his word. So Christian piety is this desire to live for God and to live according to his word. Calvin, actually, this is what he says, and I think this is, is quite helpful. This is sort of this practicing righteousness. And he says that God has prescribed for us a way in which he will be glorified by us, namely piety, and which consists in the obedience of his word. Isn't that what Alex said in his children's address? And then Calvin goes on to say, he says, the person or, or whoever exceeds these bounds or goes, does anything beyond God's word does not go about to honor God, but rather to dishonor him. And that's what we're thinking about this morning is how can we honor God, how can we please God, how can we glorify God as his people? Now I recognize we're coming to a passage that on the face of it is about fasting, and we are going to deal with fasting. But this passage is so much more than fasting. It helps us see it, it deals with our attitude towards God and towards his word. Or, as I've been saying. Christian piety. Now if you've been with us this hopefully will not be new to you um, because you'll remember that these verses come in what we call the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Mount was a sermon given by Jesus to his followers uh, to tell them what it means to be a part of his kingdom and, and I put up there the sort of the breakdown of the Sermon on the Mount uh, in case you've forgotten where we are or, or how, it's, how Jesus teaches us that. Because you'll remember, it began weeks and weeks ago um, in chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, where Jesus gives his followers a portrait of a Christian. And he tells them that that to be a member of his kingdom means you are immensely blessed. Then he goes on to give his followers the purpose of a Christian. You'll see that there in chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. And he says, the primary purpose of those who are in my kingdom is to bring glory to the Father. And from there, from uh, verse 17 of chapter 5, he goes into detail in how we as members of his kingdom bring glory to his Father. And according to our definition that we've just read from Calvin, this whole section is about Christian piety. It is about doing just that. It is obeying God's word to bring him glory, to bring him praise, to honor him. And in chapter 5, we saw how Christians can bring glory to the Father through their behavior towards the world. And, and you can see that in the subheadings of our, of our Bibles. And in chapter 6, before harvest, we saw how Christians can bring glory to the Father through their behavior towards God. We saw this, didn't we? We looked at areas such as giving and prayer. Well, today we come to these three verses, which are about fasting. But they're also about, as we said, our attitude towards God and towards his word. Now, to help us see this and help us get into these verses, we're going to summarize Jesus' teaching here on fasting uh, by looking at two perspectives. And so this is what we're going to be seeing this morning. We're going to study, first of all, how he talks about a worldly perspective, and then he talks about a heavenly perspective. So let's get into these verses and see uh, what Jesus has to say. So our first point there, he describes a worldly perspective. Perspective. And in this point, we're going to see that, uh, that worldly people live for the praise of the world. And we see this um, from verse 16, which is a, a description of, of people fasting for the praise of others. Let, let's read it again, and I hope you'll, you'll see this. See what it says in verse 16? He says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men. They are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. In this verse, Jesus paints a picture, doesn't he, of someone who is fasting. And he describes him as someone who is fasting for the gain of the praise of others. And Jesus says, you can, you can picture this person, and I'm sure you, you can as you sit there. You can picture them sort of being somber or, or unenergetic because of their lack of food. This person screwing up their face with every sort of pang of hunger that comes over them. But Jesus says, note that these people do these things to show men that he is fasting. Isn't that what he says in the second half? They do this to show men that they are fasting. Now to understand what is going on here and why Jesus says this, we need to go back to introduction and, and remember the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount and remember who Jesus is speaking to. You see, Jesus is speaking to his followers, he's speaking to his disciples, to those who are members of his kingdom. And he's teaching them what it means to glorify God. And so he begins here in verse 16 with an example of false piety. This is an example of false piety. And the reason Jesus does this is is twofold. First of all, he he gives them this example of false piety to to show them how one should not fast, and and we'll come to that in our second point. But secondly, because they are prone to living for the praise of the world. And you see, it's the second thing that, that, that I want to focus on in this point, because this gets to the heart of what Jesus is teaching here. He wants those sitting before him to know. Those who are call themselves Christians, who call themselves disciples of Jesus, to know that they too are prone to living for the praise of this world. I reckon we know this. I reckon we can recognise this even in ourselves, as we sit here this morning. Perhaps not exactly in this way, but we know, don't we, we know our default position is to live for the praise of others. I think I've used this illustration before, but um, I always laugh when sports players are interviewed after a game. I don't know if you you watch sport, I'm sure you'll recognize this. The reason um, people are interviewed after a game is because they've done something particularly good in the game, or they've had a really good game, maybe they're, they're sort of player of the match or something. And I always laugh whenever the, the, the interviewer asks them about their particular goal or their particular tackle or whatever it was they did. And the person always says, do you know, it's not about me, it's about the team. I always laugh at this because, I mean, it's clearly not true. I mean, sports people. And I think we know it's not true because if you've ever seen a boxer interviewed who plays for no team, I mean, they're always talking themselves up, aren't they? I mean, sports people, that's what they want. They want the praise. They want the adulation. That is why they do what they do. And, and i don't even think we need to, to look at sports teams i think richard talked about this last sunday morning we can see it on social media can't we i mean why does anyone post anything ever on social media I don't think people do it so they get tore down or they get attacked people do it for praise they do it for affirmation they do it to draw attention to themselves Now, the reality is, and the point I'm making is that we're all like this, aren't we? Every single one of us, we want to be praised. We want the praise of our parents. We want the praise of our children, our friends, our spouses, our bosses. Whatever relationship we are in, we crave the praise of others. And you see, as Jesus stands there on that hill, and as he looks at his disciples, those who are members of his kingdom, He wants them to know that they have this desire to seek the praise of the world. And the reason he wants them to know this is because it can seriously affect their Christian piety. We know this by looking once again at our verse. Have a look at verse 16 and, and, and see the example that Jesus uses. It's not a worldly example, is it? It's a godly example. What's this person... Trying to do or supposedly doing? They're fasting. But what are they doing wrong? They are seeking the praise of the world and not the praise of God. And because of that, this person is sinning. Now, I want to be really careful at this point and I, I want us to have a, a hopefully get, get some clarity on what I'm saying here. Because I want you to know and we need to know that it is okay to receive praise from the world. For worldly things, Okay, we need to be clear on that. It is okay to receive praise from the world for worldly things. Say you're really good at your job, or you're really good at begging, or, or you're really good at music. You should be commended by the world for those things. But you see what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says the problem arises when we seek praise from the world for godly things. Because when we seek praise for the, from the world for godly things, it is false piety and that it is, it is a sin. And you see, this is the warning that this passage has, not just for those who are sitting before Jesus on that day when he gave the sermon, but for all of his people throughout all time. And if you're sitting here this morning and you claim to be a member of the kingdom of Jesus Christ then you need to be careful. You need to know that we are sinful people and that we have a desire to let our sinful nature affect our Christian piety. That we have this nature within us that affects our desire to live for God and live according to his word. Now we're thinking about fasting and that's the example Jesus uses. And so I'm going to use the example of Lent to try and illustrate this. Lent, I'm, I'm sure you know, is, is that time of year um, when people are encouraged to give up something, uh, particularly in the church, the wider church certainly. Christians are, are encouraged to give up something in order to, to help them focus on their relationship with Jesus. Now, in my opinion, Lent is something that, as God's people, we don't need to be doing And and, and there's two reasons for that, partly because most of the things we give up for Lent have nothing to do with our relationship with Jesus, but mostly because Lent, or how we approach Lent, is exactly what Jesus is talking about here in verse 16. I don't know you, but that kind of time of year, we we get asked, don't we, what are you giving up for Lent? And, And we give an answer, don't we? But that is what Jesus is saying here. When we partake in it, we're doing it so that everyone knows what we're doing. And we're not doing it primarily for the praise of God, but for the praise of others. And so in this way, this thing which is good has been warped by our sinful nature. And it can be very quickly become false piety. And Jesus says this false piety is a sin. I don't want to just go after Lent because I think that we can be honest here and say that this attitude not just affects our behavior in the weeks leading up to Easter, but it can seep into our Christian lives in many different ways and affect very many different aspects of our piety. You can imagine, I'm sure, how this might work out. You can imagine, for instance, attending a church meeting just so you're seen. Or you can imagine feeling the desire to To donate money to uh, uh, something in the church for the credit. Or you can imagine having this desire to to try and behave in a certain way to attract attention to ourselves. Or you can even imagine wanting to attain a title or a role within the church so that we're admired and praised. But do you see, all of this, all of this is false piety. It looks like piety. It looks like it comes from God's word. It looks like obedience. It looks like godliness. But Jesus says if we do godly things for the praise of the world, it's not piety. It's false piety, and it is a sin. It is, as our point says, a worldly perspective. It's a worldly perspective on things that ought to be heavenly, heavenly. And Jesus says to me and you, or to whoever sits in here and thinks that they are, believes they are a member of his kingdom, he says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, then we must know what we're really like. We must remember our sinful natures, and we must not do godly things for the praise of this world. Before we move on, we we must say one more thing from this verse, and, and we must say that because this is a worldly perspective on godly things we need to see that it comes with a worldly reward. And we see this, don't we? At the, in the very end of verse 16, do you see how it finishes? It says that there is a reward for false piety. Jesus says, he actually says, if you do this, you will be successful. And he says there, doesn't he? It says, if you behave like this, your reward is the praise of the world. That's why he says, these people, They have received their reward in full. It's like I think the reward for Lent is a chocolate egg, or at least it used to be. And Jesus says, that's it. That's your reward. Enjoy every last mouthful because that is it. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, those who belong to the kingdom of Jesus, not to have a worldly perspective when it comes to godly things. It only produces false piety. And all it will bring is worldly praise. And worldly praise, well, it ends in this world. But we also need to see, or what we really need to see, is that instead of having a worldly perspective, we need to have a heavenly perspective. And you'll see there in our second point that the kingdom people live For the praise of the Father. And we're going to see this in verses 17 and 18, where Jesus really moves away from the theory, theory, we've been putting down the theory of what he's saying, into practice. And he uses, as we know, this example of fasting uh, to teach his disciples what Christian piety, what it really means to practice righteousness, what that really looks like. And let's have a look at these verses again. I think we have the time, so let's read them. Uh, Verses 17 to 18. Let's remind ourselves what Jesus says. And he says, But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in, in secret, will reward you. And I hope you see the contrast already in these two verses with what we've just read in, in verse 16. Because rather than doing godly things such as fasting for the praise of men, kingdom people do godly things for the praise of their Father. In fact, you can, if you look at verse 17, you'll see that Jesus tells his, his listeners to, to wash their faces and to put oil on their heads. You see he says that? And he says that they need to do that to conceal the fact they're fasting. He says, make it sure that it's not obvious to men what you're doing. Go the extra length to make sure you receive no other praise than the praise of the Father. Isn't that what he says? He says, do this so that, verse 18, that it will not be obvious to men, but only to your Father. This raises the question, or at least it does to me what has changed? What's, what's different? Because if we unwind a couple of minutes and we think back to what Jesus taught us in verse 16, and if we agree, which I think we do, that it is true, if we agree that our default position is to crave the praise of the world, then we have to ask ourselves, what's different? What makes the members of God's kingdom different? Especially since Jesus says we're not just to acknowledge our sin, but to fight against it. I think the answer is in the text, isn't it? Because we can see the name of the one we are to please. You see, it says there in verse 18, twice Jesus talks about your father. And it's this title that Jesus has given his people for God. And it's this reminder, isn't it? If you're a member of God's kingdom, you know this. And it's a reminder that members of Jesus' kingdom, that our relationship with God has not just been restored, Not just being restored that we can know God, but that it has been transformed so that we can know Him as our Father. And you see, that is the radical change that occurs in the gospel. That is the radical change that occurs whenever you leave the kingdom of the world and you become a member of Jesus' kingdom. The whole orientation of our being is reconfigured. When we belong to the world, our focus is on the world, and, and we want to we crave the praise of the world. But if you're a member of Jesus' kingdom, because of Christ and because of his work, our focus is no longer a worldly focus, but a heavenly one. And our focus is no longer on the God above, but on the God who is our Father. And just as an earthly child craves the praise of a parent, we as children of God live for the praise of our heavenly Father. This is the first point I used, uh, an illustration, and I don't know if you can see it, um, a sporting illustration. This is service, another kind of sporting illustration. Uh, I don't know if you can read this, maybe not from the back, but this is a wristband produced by Christians in sport, uh, and maybe you can see what it says on it, but it says, audience of one. And that, and that is because this wristband sums up exactly what Jesus is saying here. This is how Jesus wants his people to live. He wants them to live for the praise of his Father and to bring him glory. I was loving uh, the video that Alex put up of uh, Barbie and Ken. Uh, well, I just enjoyed Toy story. But it was brilliant, wasn't it? It was interesting that it was an audience of one that struck me. That's the one person in that room. or The two people was Ken and Barbie. And Ken was doing all he could to please her. And that was the point that Alex was trying to get across. And it's the point that Jesus is trying to get across here. Jesus says, if you are a Christian, if you are a member of my, my kingdom, then your whole orientation, your whole life, it's no longer focused on those around you or on your work or on the praise of others or on your family. Whatever it is, you have been reconfigured. Your focus, you live for an audience of one. Jesus uses the example of fasting to help us sort of put flesh on these bones. And, and so let's, let's talk about fasting, shall we? It's kind of been the, the elephant in the room, this whole sort of passage. When he's going to actually talk about fasting. Well, let's talk about it. And the first thing I think we need to say about fasting is that members of Jesus' kingdom ought to be fasting. We see this, don't we, from the very start of verse 16 and, and verse 17. Do you see what Jesus says? He says, when you fast, verse 17, but when you fast. This is not if you fast, when you fast. And I think that's the first thing that we need to acknowledge, that if you're a member of Jesus' kingdom, that fasting is very much part of our Christian piety. It's part of our obedience to God's word. And it is one of the ways that God has decreed that we can receive praise from him. We can do this any time of the year, can't we? We can do this, not just in the weeks leading up to Easter. Well, what is fasting? Well, I find George Phillip quite helpful. This is what he says. But but what does fasting mean? He asks. He says it is the opposite of indulgence and challenges the pleasure seeking attitude of our lives. It involves doing without legitimate things for the more urgent aim of service. He says to give up things or people you have no right to have is neither fasting nor sacrifice. Fasting is also the denial of all that interferes with and keeps us from fellowship with God and his service. I think it's a really helpful definition of fasting. And if you don't have time to to take it down now, um, these PowerPoint sites will be on our website and and I encourage you to to go there and have a look at them. But it's helpful, isn't it? And what's helpful, I think, about it is because whenever we think about fasting, I don't know about you, but our, our minds generally go to abstaining from food it's not right, it's not, you know, we talk about maybe having a 24-hour fast or something. You've maybe done that, you've made a fundraiser, and that's great, and that is certainly part of fasting. But George Phillip, who, who speaks from Scripture, he says he widens our understanding, doesn't he? He says it's, not, it's much more than just abstaining from food, but abstaining from all manner of things. Things, legitimate things, he calls them, things that we need, things that are almost essential to our being. Like food is essential to our being. You see what he says there? The denial of all that interferes and keeps us from fellowship with God and his service. And this is how I think we need to apply what Jesus is saying here about Christian piety. Because this is the example he uses. And this is how then we might think about fasting. What can we do without? What can we do without? encourage our relationship with our father and our relationship with one another let me give you some examples that i hope that you'll if you don't find directly helpful you'll hopefully help you understand what we're talking about let me give you one example for instance you might be you might be someone who who absolutely loves reading novels and so before you go to bed every night that's what you do you 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 read your, your your novel you read your book but fasting for you might be considering taking a break from doing that. Maybe for one week. So you might read a book of the Bible instead. You give you another example. Maybe you're someone who, who likes to exercise. And maybe you're someone who, who goes to the gym a couple of sessions a week. And because of that, you've no time to meet anyone else in church. Well, maybe fasting for you is forgoing those sessions. Again, maybe a week, a month. So that perhaps you can meet everyone in your growth group. Or maybe you can meet everyone that you serve with. Maybe you're a family. This is an illustration for you. Maybe you're a family. And as a family, you're committed. You you tell yourself, we do one special thing together a month. And you save your money for that time together. So you can go out for the day or for the evening. For a meal, for a checkout, whatever it is. And fasting for you might be not doing that for a month. And instead, taking all that money that you've saved and giving it to CAP or to the building fund or whatever need there is within the local church. You see, this is fasting, and we do this for an audience of one. And Jesus, to bring it back to our passage, again says this will bring a reward. Have a look at verse 18 because we'll see how it finishes. He says, so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And again, we see this great contrast, don't we, with the reward that those who seek worldly praise receive. Those who seek worldly praise receive worldly praise, but it is limited to the world. It's temporary. But Jesus says, those who do godly things for their father will receive eternal praise and that's the promise he will reward us i think the difficulty with this is worldly praise is it's there we know we have it in some ways we can feel it we can touch it we can hear it it gives us that immediate boost and i think that's where the words of jesus is hard because whenever we seek to do things in secret for his praise for his glory sometimes we can, we're maybe not even sure if we're doing the right thing. We're maybe not sure if we're doing what pleases him and we might not know until the end of time. But Jesus says, if you read my word, if you take my law to your heart, if you do things for the praise of the Father out of a desire to please him and glorify him, then you will, you will receive a reward and it's not temporary it's not an easter egg do you know it's not fleeting it will never fade perish or spoil and that's the promise of jesus christ let me finish today we're thinking about the practice of a christian that is where we are in the sermon on the mount what does it mean to a member of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to bring glory to the Father? Well, it's piety, isn't it? It is. What does Paul say? He calls it practicing righteousness. Practicing righteousness. How do we practice righteousness? Well, we do it this way, don't we? We do it not for the praise of the world, not with the worldly perspective but with a heavenly perspective. And so as we finish, I must ask, or I must encourage you to ask yourselves, What, you know, where are we in this verse? How is our piety? How are we practicing righteousness? Are our lives marked with false piety? Are you here this morning simply for the praise of others, simply to be seen? I tell you, when you leave there and I shake your hand and I say, good to see you, that is it. That is the praise you're getting. I want you to see that it is pointless when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and living in his kingdom. It's a worldly perspective. I encourage you this morning, if that is you, to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ, considering knowing the Father as your Father and living for him. It is my prayer and it has been my prayer this week that our lives would be reconfigured, that they would focus on the Heavenly Father and that our desire would be to live for His praise and for His glory. Finally, let me encourage us all to fast. This is about fasting. Falser hears that I haven't been preaching about fasting, he'll tell me off tomorrow. So let me encourage you to fast. But let me encourage you to fast without fuss, without drawing attention, attention to yourselves, And let me encourage you to fast, not, not just because we know there's a temptation there to fall into sin, but because you're living for an audience of one. Well, let me conclude with that and let me pray for us all as we endeavor to obey God and heed his word. Let me pray for us and then we will conclude our service in praise. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're jealous. You're jealous for our attention. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us, that he would sanctify our hearts so that we would be able to practice righteousness. But we pray that we would do it with the right attitude, the right heart, that it would not be for the praise of the world, that we would not succumb to our sinful nature, but that we would do it for you and for you alone. We pray that we would know that you see us that you know everything we do. And we pray at all time that we would live for an audience of one. We pray that we would encourage one another in that, that we would encourage one another in righteousness, that we would encourage one another in our fasting. We recognize that it is hard to give up things and it is hard even to think of things to give up. But we encourage us now, as we even as we have coffee together and, and chat about our lives, that we might think of practical ways with things that we need to sacrifice, legitimate things that we need to sacrifice so that we can pursue a deeper and stronger relationship with our Father. We pray these things in your name and with the help of your Spirit. Amen.